Section sixteen of the Life of Samuel Johnson, Volume four. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Life of Samuel Johnson, Volume four by James Boswell, Section sixteen. In autumn, he went to Oxford, Birmingham lichfield and ashbourne for which very good reasons might be given in the conjectural yet positive manner of writers who are proud to account for every event which they relate he himself however says the motives of my journey i hardly know i omitted it last year and am not willing to miss it again but some good considerations arise amongst which is the kindly recollection of mr hector surgeon at birmingham hector is likewise an old friend the only companion of my childhood that passed through school with me we have always loved one another perhaps we may be made better by some serious conversation of which however i have no distinct hope he says to at Blitchfield, my native place, I hope to show a good example by frequent attendance on public worship. My correspondence with him during the rest of this year was, I know not why, very scanty and all on my side. I wrote him one letter to introduce Mr. Sinclair, now Sir John, the member for Caithness, to his acquaintance and informed him in another that my wife had again been affected with alarming symptoms of illness in seventeen eighty two his complaints increased and the history of his life this year is little more than a mournful recital of the variations of his illness in the midst of which however it will appear from his letters that the powers of his mind were in no degree impaired to james boswell esq dear sir i sit down to answer your letter on the same day in which i received it and am pleased that my first letter of the year is to you no man ought to be at ease while he knows himself in the wrong and i have not satisfied myself with my long silence the letter relating to mr sinclair however was i believe never brought my health has been tottering this last year, and I can give no very laudable account of my time. I am always hoping to do better than I have ever hitherto done. My journey to Ashbourne and Staffordshire was not pleasant, for what enjoyment has a sick man visiting the sick? Footnote. He wrote from Lichfield on the previous October the 27th, All here is gloomy, a faint struggle with the tediousness of time, a doleful confession of present misery, and the approach seen and felt of what is most dreaded and most shunned, but such is the lot of man. End of footnote. Shall we ever have another frolic? like our journey to the hebrides 
I hope that dear Mrs. Boswell will surmount her complaints. In losing her you would lose your anchor, and be tossed without stability by the waves of life. Footnote. The truth of this has been proved by sad experience. Boswell. Mrs. Boswell died June the 4th, 1789, Malone. End of footnote. I wish both her and you very many years and very happy. For some months past I have been so withdrawn from the world that I can send you nothing particular. All your friends, however, are well and will be glad of your return to London. I am, dear sir, yours most affectionately, Samuel Johnson, January the 5th, 1782. At a time when he was less able than he had once been to sustain a shock, he was suddenly deprived of Mr. Levitt, which event he thus communicated to Dr. Lawrence. Sir, our old friend Mr. Levitt, who was last night eminently cheerful, died this morning. The man who lay in the same room, hearing an uncommon noise, got up and tried to make him speak, but without effect. He then called Mr. Holder, the apothecary, who, though when he came he thought him dead, opened a vein but could draw no blood. So has ended the long life of a very useful and very blameless man. I am, sir, your most humble servant, Samuel Johnson, January the 17th, 1782. In one of his memorandum books in my possession is the following entry. January the 20th, Sunday. Robert Levitt was buried in the churchyard of Bridewell between one and two in the afternoon. He died on Thursday the 17th, about seven in the morning, by an instantaneous death. He was an old and faithful friend. I have known him from about forty-six. Comendavi. May God have mercy on him. May he have mercy on me. Such was Johnson's affectionate regard for Levitt that he honoured his memory with the following pathetic verses. Condemned to hope's delusive mine as on we toil from day to day, by sudden blast or slow decline our social comforts drop away. Well tried through many a varying year, see Levitt to the grave descend, officious, innocent, sincere, of every friendless name the friend. Yet still he fills affection's eye, obscurely wise and coarsely kind nor lettered arrogance deny thy praise to merit unrefined when fainting nature called for aid and hovering death prepared the blow his vigorous remedy displayed the power of art without the show in misery's darkest caverns known his ready help was ever nigh where hopeless anguish poured his groan and lonely want retired to die no summons mocked by chill delay no petty gains disdained by pride the modest wants of every day the toil of every day supplied 
his virtues walked their narrow round nor made a pause nor left a void and sure the eternal master found his single talent well employed the busy day the peaceful night unfelt uncounted glided by his frame was firm his powers were bright though now his eightieth year was nigh then with no throbs of fiery pain no cold gradations of decay death broke at once the vital chain and freed his soul the nearest way footnotes to the poem mrs piozzi quoting this verse under officious says johnson always thinking neglect the worst misfortune that could befall a man looked on a character of this description with less aversion than i do in both editions of sir john hawkins life of johnson lettered ignorance is printed boswell mr croker says that mr boswell is habitually unjust to sir john hawkins as some kind of balance i suppose to this injustice he suppresses this note johnson repeated a line to me thus and labour steals an hour to die but he afterwards altered it to the present reading boswell this poem is printed in the annual register for seventeen eighty three with the following variations line eighteen for ready help useful care line twenty eight his single talent the single talent line thirty three no throbs of fiery pain no throbbing fiery pain line thirty six and freed and forced on the next page is printed john gilpin mr croker says that this line shows that some of gray's happy expressions lingered in johnson's memory he quotes a line that comes at the end of the ode on vicissitude from busy day the peaceful night this line is not gray's but mason's johnson wrote to mrs thrale on august the fourteenth seventeen eighty if you want events here is mr levitt just come in at fourscore from a walk to hampstead eight miles in august End of footnotes. in one of johnson's registers of this year there occurs the following curious passage january the twentieth footnote in the original march twentieth on the afternoon of march the twentieth lord north announced in the house of commons that his majesty's ministers were no more End of footnote. the ministry is dissolved i prayed with francis and gave thanks it has been the subject of discussion whether there are two distinct particulars mentioned here or that we are to understand the giving of thanks to be in consequence of the dissolution of the ministry in support of the last of these conjectures may be urged his mean opinion of that ministry which has frequently appeared in the course of this work footnote mr seward records in his biographiana 
without, however, giving the year, that Johnson, being asked what the opposition meant by their flaming speeches and violent pamphlets against Lord North's administration, answered, They mean, sir, rebellion. They mean, in spite, to destroy that country which they are not permitted to govern. End of footnote. And it is strongly confirmed by what he said on the subject to Mr. Seward, I am glad the ministry is removed. Such a bunch of imbecility never disgraced a country. Footnote. In the previous December, the city of London, in an address, writes Horace Walpole, besought the king to remove both his public and private councillors, and used these stunning and memorable words. Your armies are captured, the wonted superiority of your navies is annihilated, your dominions are lost. Words that could be used to no other king. No king had ever lost so much without losing all. If James the Second lost his crown, yet the crown lost no dominions. On August the 4th of this year, Johnson wrote to Dr. Taylor, Perhaps no nation not absolutely conquered has declined so much in so short a time. We seem to be sinking. Suppose the Irish, having already gotten a free trade and an independent parliament, should say, We will have a king and ally ourselves with the House of Bourbon. What could be done to hinder or overthrow them? End of footnote. If they sent a messenger into the city to take up a printer, the messenger was taken up instead of the printer and committed by the sitting alderman. Footnote. In February and March 1771, the House of Commons ordered eight printers to attend at the bar on a charge of breach of privilege in publishing reports of debates. One of the eight, Miller of the Evening Post, when the messenger of the house tried to arrest him, gave the man himself into custody on a charge of assault. The messenger was brought before Lord Mayor Crosby and Alderman Wilkes and Oliver, and a warrant was made out for his commitment. Bail was thereupon offered and accepted for his appearance at the next sessions. The Lord Mayor and Oliver were sent to the Tower, by the house. Wilkes was ordered to appear on April the 8th, but the ministry, not daring to face his appearance, adjourned the house till the ninth. A committee was appointed by ballot to inquire into the late obstructions to the execution of the orders of the house. It recommended the consideration of the expediency of the house ordering that Miller shall be taken into custody. The report, when read, was received with a roar of laughter. Nothing was done. Such was, to quote the words of Burke in the annual register, the miserable result of all the pretended vigour of the ministry. End of footnote. If they sent one army to the relief of another, 
the first army was defeated and taken before the second arrived Footnote. lord cornwallis's army surrendered at yorktown five days before sir henry clinton's fleet and army arrived off the chesapeake End of footnote. i will not say that what they did was always wrong but it was always done at a wrong time footnote. johnson wrote on march the thirtieth the men have got in whom i have endeavoured to keep out but i hope they will do better than their predecessors it will not be easy to do worse End of footnote. to mrs strawn dear madam mrs williams showed me your kind letter this little habitation is now but a melancholy place clouded with the gloom of disease and death of the four inmates one has been suddenly snatched away two are oppressed by very afflictive and dangerous illness and i tried yesterday to gain some relief by a third bleeding from a disorder which has for some time distressed me and i think myself to-day much better i am glad dear madam to hear that you are so far recovered as to go to bath let me once more entreat you to stay till your health is not only obtained but confirmed your fortune is such that no moderate expense deserves your care and you have a husband who i believe does not regard it stay therefore till you are quite well i am for my part very much deserted but complaint is useless i hope god will bless you and I desire you to form the same wish for me. I am, dear madam, your most humble servant, Samuel Johnson, February the 4th, 1782. To Edmund Malone, Esquire, sir. I have for many weeks been so much out of order that I have gone out only in a coach to Mrs. Thrale's, where I can use all the freedom that sickness requires. Do not therefore take it amiss that I am not with you and Dr. Farmer. I hope hereafter to see you often. I am, sir, your most humble servant, Samuel Johnson, February the 27th, 1782. To the same. Dear sir, I hope I grow better, and shall soon be able to enjoy the kindness of my friends. I think this wild adherence to Chatterton more unaccountable than the obstinate defence of Ossian. Footnote. This note was in answer to one which accompanied one of the earliest pamphlets on the subject of Chatterton's forgery, entitled Cursory Observations on the Poems Attributed to Thomas Rowley, etc. Mr. Thomas Wharton's very able inquiry appeared about three months afterwards and mr tyrwitt's admirable vindication of his appendix in the summer of the same year left the believers in this daring imposture nothing but the resolution to say again what had been said before malone End of footnote. in ossian there is a national pride which may be forgiven though it cannot be applauded in chatterton there is nothing but the resolution to say again what has once been said i am so your humble servant samuel johnson march the seventh seventeen eighty two 
these short letters show the regard which dr johnson entertained for mr malone who the more he is known is the more highly valued it is much to be regretted that johnson was prevented from sharing the elegant hospitality of that gentleman's table at which he would in every respect have been fully gratified mr malone who has so ably succeeded him as an editor of shakespeare has in his preface done great and just honour to johnson's memory to mrs lucy porter in lichfield dear madam i went away from lichfield ill and have had a troublesome time with my breath for some weeks i have been disordered by a cold of which i could not get the violence abated till i had been let blood three times i have not however been so bad but that i could have written and am sorry that i neglected it my dwelling is but melancholy both williams and desmoulins and myself are very sickly frank is not well and poor levitt died in his bed the other day by a sudden stroke i suppose not one minute passed between health and death so uncertain are human things such is the appearance of the world about me i hope your scenes are more cheerful but whatever befalls us though it is wise to be serious it is useless and foolish and perhaps sinful to be gloomy let us therefore keep ourselves as easy as we can though the loss of friends will be felt and poor levitt had been a faithful adherent for thirty years forgive me my dear love the omission of writing i hope to mend that and my other faults let me have your prayers make my compliments to mrs cobb and miss adie and mr pearson and the whole company of my friends i am my dear your most humble servant samuel johnson london march the second seventeen eighty two to the same dear madam my last was but a dull letter and i know not that this will be much more cheerful i am however willing to write because you are desirous to hear from me my disorder has now begun its ninth week for it is not yet over i was last thursday blooded for the fourth time and have since found myself much relieved but i am very tender and easily hurt so that since we parted i have had but little comfort and i hope that the spring will recover me and that in the summer i shall see lichfield again for i will not delay my visit another year to the end of autumn i have by advertising found poor mr levitt's brothers in yorkshire who will take the little he has left it is but little yet it will be welcome for i believe they are of very low condition to be sick and to see nothing but sickness and death is but a gloomy state but i hope better times even in this world will come and whatever this world may withhold or give we shall be happy in a better state pray for me my dear lucy 
make my compliments to mrs cobb and miss adie and my old friend hetty bailey and to all the lichfield ladies i am dear madam yours affectionately samuel johnson bolt court fleet street march the nineteenth seventeen eighty two on the day on which this letter was written he thus feelingly mentions his respected friend and physician dr lawrence poor lawrence has almost lost the sense of hearing and i have lost the conversation of a learned intelligent and communicative companion and a friend whom long familiarity has much endeared lawrence is one of the best men whom i have known nostrum omnium miserere deus it was dr johnson's custom when he wrote to dr lawrence concerning his own health to use the latin language Footnote. he addressed to him an ode in latin entitled ad tomam lawrence medicum doctissimum cum filium peregreagentum desiderio nimis tristi i have been favoured by miss lawrence with one of these letters as a specimen t laurentio medico salve novum frigus novum tussis nova sperande difficultas novam sanguinis missionem suadent quam tamen te in consulto nolum fieri a te venire vix possum nec discur ad me venias licere vel non licere uno verbo dicendum est catra mihi et holdero vile queres si perte licit imperato nuncio holderum ad me deducere mais calendis seventeen eighty two postquam tu te ceseris Footnote. Mr. Holder in the Strand, Dr. Johnson's Apothecary, Boswell. Reader's note. The footnote then cites Thomas Macaulay's review of Croker's edition of Boswell's Life of Johnson. Johnson should rather have written Imperatum est. But the meaning of the words is perfectly clear if you say yes the messenger has orders to bring holder to me mr croker translates the words as follows if you consent pray tell the messenger to bring holder to me if mr croker is resolved to write on points of classical learning we would advise him to begin by giving an hour every morning to our old friend Coderius reader's note end of the citation from macaulay in the answers to mr macaulay's criticism prefixed to croker's boswell it is suggested that johnson wrote either imperator or imperator the letter may be translated a fresh chill a fresh cough and a fresh difficulty in breathing call for a fresh letting of blood without your advice however i would not submit to the operation i cannot well come to you nor need you come to me say yes or no in one word and leave the rest to holder and to me if you say yes let 
the messenger be bidden imperator to bring holder to me may the first seventeen eighty two when you have left whither shall i turn soon after the above letter dr lawrence left london but not before the palsy had made so great a progress as to render him unable to write for himself the following are extracts from letters addressed by dr johnson to one of his daughters you will easily believe with what gladness i read that you had heard once again that voice to which we have all so often delighted to attend may you often hear it if we had his mind and his tongue we could spare the rest i am not vigorous but much better than when dear dr lawrence held my pulse the last time be so kind as to let me know from one little interval to another the state of his body i am pleased that he remembers me and hope that it never can be possible for me to forget him july the twenty second seventeen eighty two i am much delighted even with the small advances which dear dr lawrence makes towards recovery if we could have again but his mind and his tongue in his mind and his right hand we should not much lament the rest i should not despair of helping the swelled hand by electricity if it were frequently and diligently supplied let me know from time to time whatever happens and i hope i need not tell you how much i am interested in every change august the twenty sixth seventeen eighty two though the account with which you favoured me in your last letter could not give me the pleasure that i wished yet i was glad to receive it for my affection to my dear friend makes me desirous of knowing his state whatever it be i beg therefore that you will continue to let me know from time to time all that you observe many fits of severe illness have for about three months past forced my kind physician often upon my mind i am now better and hope gratitude as well as distress can be a motive to remembrance bolt court fleet street february the fourth seventeen eighty three boswell end of footnote end of section sixteen